This is Forum. I'm John Michaels, Public Affairs Radio Director. Since 1977, going to be talking about end of life, which a lot of people don't like to talk about, but maybe with the anonymity of radio, you can have some education and communication here that will help you. I'm going to be talking to Dylan Hinker, Senior Director, Home and Community-Based Services for Sanford and Good Samaritan Society. A lot of people may not know, but Good Samaritan Society and Sanford are connected now, aren't they? Yes, they are, for uh, three years now. Now, you started, I believe, in North Dakota, but you're, you're quite large now. Yeah, correct. We actually started in a small town called Arthur, North Dakota, um, and have since expanded to 23, 24-plus states uh, over the course of the last 100 years. Now, with Sanford, how does that change things? Yeah, it's actually been an absolute blessing, um, our merger coming together with Sanford and being able to look at the care delivery in a different manner um, and really being able to partner together with a greater uh, acute hospital-based organization that's only good for the communities um, and the communities that we serve. And so we continue to redefine what healthcare delivery looks like in that patient experience um, and also for for those caregivers of those patients as well. It's been a really great transition. I think there's a a ton more to come. I I do believe that you treat the family, or like you say, the caregivers you mentioned there. Uh, As we talk on a little bit more, it's not just the person that's being affected, but uh, Alzheimer's is something that is a little bit different. Tell us about how that, uh, that works. Yeah, Alzheimer's is uh, something that we actually see see a lot of, not only in our hospice care industry, but really our, in, our our continuum of care throughout Sanford and the Good Samaritan Society. And if I recall correctly, I believe there is actually 88 different versions of um, Alzheimer's, if you will, that an individual can get. And all of them have varying different symptoms. Of course, some have some similarities, but there are differences. And one of the things, organization that we take pride in is just adhering to strict education and training for all of our staff, again, regardless of the service line or regardless of the location that individual may be receiving the care, to be able to care for their loved one in a different manner. And and we know that there's certainly those challenging times that can come with a diagnosis like Alzheimer's, but that's where folks like us and our teams come in uh, to be able to step in and walk alongside the, the families to help them um, and also educate them. Right. I mean, we got to educate the the families on what to expect, uh, maybe what a disease progression may look like, uh, how to help them care for their loved one too. Well, hospice is usually a, a end of life, you know, six month type of thing, but Alzheimer's can last quite a long time, doesn't it? Correct. Yep. So that's a little bit different. And the more you can uh, find out about these things and educate yourself, especially if you have a hint that you might be a caregiver in the future, uh, the better. Talking to Dylan Hinker, Senior Director, Home and Community-Based Services for Sanford and Good Samaritan Society. How many people do you treat in Sioux Falls right now? So we've got, again, we've got a a plethora of different services within our our hospice um, alone. So we have a pretty big footprint. So, John, we're covering the southeast corner um, of South Dakota. We've got hospice in northwest Iowa, and then we have locations in southwest Minnesota. So for all the listeners, certainly there's there's far and wide locations that we have within this area um, that we're, we're really a phone call away to be able to help have just a conversation with them and to be able to meet with them. But the, the, the number of folks that we serve kind of varies uh, by location. Well, now, the economic impact, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but you employ a large amount of people when you do that. We do. And, and actually, one of the things, too, if I, I, I may, is, in relation to the, the utilization of hospice. So, John, this has been a, a national problem since really the inception of hospice care and that being a, a Medicare benefit. And for example, so it, 
there was a, a study that was done um, by the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, also known as NHPCO, uh, which we as hospice providers uh, rely on quite heavily for different types of educations and resources and the latest in the industry. And they did a study that had come out in 2020. It was based on some data uh, in 2018 that over 50% of patients were receiving hospice care for 30 days or fewer. So part of being on hospice is that there's a terminal diagnosis uh, with a life expectancy of six months or less if the disease progression follows its normal course. So 50% of patients on hospice received care for 30 days or fewer, which of course is a far cry from that expected six months. Uh, What's even worse in that study was found that 27.9% of those Patients were on hospice for one to seven days, and I think that's where some of the some of the stigma uh, that comes with hospice care and what hospice care is. Uh, and back to your your original point in relation to the employment part of it, uh, we we have a, a large standing adherence, if you will, to these communities to not only be a provider of healthcare but also be a provider of jobs for these areas. And that just goes back to the utilization of our services, and whether it's hospice or any other one. Uh, we're we're there to serve those communities, and we got to be able to have the people to do it. And and something like hospice is so underutilized, and and that's not just here in the Midwest. I would say there's probably some Midwest tendencies uh, that come with it. You know, we're kind of that that down home um, type of individuals, but in throughout the whole country, there's there's definitely a underutilization of the hospice care benefits. Well, I have a lot of appreciation for the people that work there because actually their career is working with people that are dying. I once talked to a a nurse who I asked her, I said, you know, you just got out of an operation where a seven-year-old girl died on the table from cancer. How do you do that as a career? I mean, this is your life. Uh, This is what you go to work for. And and she said, I go down to the maternity ward and I look at the babies. Uh, That's how she keeps her... um, mind level, I guess, in a little bit of a sense there, but uh, we're talking about end of life here uh, on a, when, you, when you're at a, a hospice. Um, my grandfather <clears throat> uh, used to say, my mom always said that he said that uh, he never wanted to go to the hospital because that's where you go to die. And mm. nowadays, uh, that's a different meaning with the hospital, that's where you go to get better, but a hospice is where most of the time you go to die. And uh, that, uh, that that's a lot of decisions by the family, and that's one of the things you do is you give a lot of support to the, to the parents and the families. Yeah, it it is, and I I also think it's it's important to probably go back to a, a little bit of of what is hospice care, um, and and hospice care is is really focusing on the quality of life uh, for the people and their caregivers who are experiencing an advanced life limiting illness, and that could be that could be a number of things. Um, and this specialized care is really meant to help them live fully and as, as comfortably as possible in those last phases of an incurable disease um, or any kind of maybe physical ailment. ailment. And, and we're treating, back to the, the, the family piece of it as well, we're, we're not only treating the patient, but we're treating the family as well. Um, but we're focused in on the, the, the person and the symptoms of the disease rather than treating the disease itself. So we're not working towards any kind of curative treatments to, to treat the, the condition or the disease that individual has. We're focusing in on, on managing the, the symptoms in the individual um, in relation to, to that disease. Uh, we all know when an individual has a, uh, unfortunately gets the news of a life-limiting diagnosis and it is something that is an incurable disease, um, there are, there are 
decisions that come with that. There's uh, feelings that have to come with that and some next steps that folks have to go through. And for example, um, if we would look at, say, if there was a, say if there was a, a chemo patient um, that was diagnosed with a life expectancy of, of six months or less, and they were going through the treatments and trying to work through all of the curative options to be able to, to fight that disease, and unfortunately that disease continues to progress, ultimately it comes down to how an individual wants to spend their, spend their last days, right? So do we want to spend it going through um, curative treatments if the outlook unfortunately does not look um, as going to be as successful as once expected, or do we look at treating those symptoms so that an individual can live out those remaining months, or it could be years, uh, just because hospice, part of the, the qualifying eligibility, if you will, in hospice is terminal diagnosis with a life expectancy of six months or less. That's just, ultimately, that's just a prediction, right? Like, we don't, we don't, um, we don't have any ball or a wand or anything that tells us that it's going to be six months. We could have someone on, on hospice for, for much longer. Um, it, it certainly could be shorter, which hints is that the study that I had referenced earlier um, that unfortunately just speaks to the underutilization. But when it comes to, to hospice, it can be it can be much longer than six months. But but again, we want to make patients and their families comfortable. We want to be able to um, treat those symptoms again, not the disease, but the symptoms. So. The, the remaining months can be spent in a different manner uh, with their families and with their friends, um, doing things they may not have been able to do if they continue to pursue um, curative treatments and go through treatments that are you know, that are ultimately taxing on the body um, and ultimately drain you know drain folks out. So there's there's definitely different ways to ways to look at it. Um, you know, John, some folks look at hospice and say that means they're we're giving up hope. Um, ultimately, you talk to any hospice care provider, and they're going to tell you hospice is about hope. It's not about giving up hope. It's it's about hope um, and being able to uh, maybe redefine what that means. So hospice, you know, in hospice, we hope a patient is pain-free. Uh, hospice, we, we hope a patient can spend quality time with their loved ones and with their friends and that we're able to provide and support um, an environment that enables a patient and their loved ones to be to be comforted. Um, and to be well prepared and in that peace with what's going on around them. One of the, if I may, yes. uh, John, one of the other things that that comes up quite often uh, is something that in the hospice industry, in the palliative care industry, uh, we call anticipatory grief. So most people think of grief in terms of what happens after a, a loved one dies. Um, but there is actually a, a, a another clinical form of grief, uh, which is called anticipatory anticipatory grief. And that is when the sadness is experienced before the loss. So when it's understood that a, a person may be passing soon, and anticipatory grief is a big part of an individual and their, and their family's uh, hospice journey. And actually the, the struggle with anticipatory grief is often the main reason why families and individuals uh, make the decision to delay hospice care which again goes back to the education. Uh, we're, again, we're, we're here to help. Um, this, these are conversations that our teams across our footprint have on the daily with all walks of life. And it's important to get with those that are well-educated on it and then that they can help families make um, some more informative decisions.
talking to D- Dylan Hinker, Senior Director, Home and Community-Based Services for Sanford and Good Samaritan Society. Uh, on the Internet, I, I came across a uh, uh, kind of a checklist here. I'll, I'll go through this, Dylan, and, and we can reply. But uh, it says, have you or a loved one been hospitalized or going to ER several times in the past six months? Uh, been making more frequent phone calls to your physician? Started taking medication to lessen physical pain? Started spending most of the day in a chair or a bed? Uh, fallen several times over the last six months, started needing help with one or more of the following, bathing, dressing, eating, getting out of bed, walking, started feeling weaker or more tired, experienced weight loss, making clothes noticeably looser, noticed shortness of breath even while resting, and, of course, been told by your doctor that life expectancy is limited. Um, This is Sunday morning, a lot of people going to church, uh, but I, I... if I remember right, Dylan, uh, Good Samaritan Society is a faith-based uh, society, isn't it? It is. And that's where you say hope. I guess hope is only defined when everything seems hopeless. Uh, but that's where uh, uh, what some people might confuse palliative, palliative uh, care and, and hospice. Is there much of a difference there? Well, it, when someone's on palliative care and pursuing palliative treatment um, underneath a palliative care physician, there are some differences, again, that go back to whether we're um, still working towards some curative treatment uh, for the disease itself versus just the um, treatment in relation to uh, the, the disease symptoms. So that, that's probably one of the, the biggest differences there is what exactly it is that, that we're treating. Are we treating the, the disease and still working towards curative treatment options? Or are we working on that quality of life and treating the symptoms of what that individual um, disease or condition may be? And one of the things to touch on that that list that you had mentioned, I appreciate you pulling that up, John. I I think what can be a a misconception, too, is that when it comes towards that that end of life and and we know that the, the, the road may not be as long as it once was, um, there's all sorts of emotions and feelings that come along with that. And that list that you had mentioned is just part of it, right? It's not a, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a certainly isn't a checklist. These are just things that an um, individual can look out for. But ultimately, we want to be sure that they're also in good communication with, with their physician. And really, at any time during a, a life-limiting illness, uh, individuals should be discussing all the care options uh, with, with their providers and getting as, as educated as, as possible. Because what we wouldn't want to have happen is um, an individual you know, sees a list of, if they go on and Google and say, how do I qualify for hospice? And there's a couple boxes that they quote may not check. And because of that, they may have just self-limited themselves from the ability to get access to care um, for themselves or for their loved one that could have started much, much sooner. Yeah, there's a couple there that apply to me, even just getting old, you know, in a sense. But sure. um, I don't think people are, are wired to go through the loss of a child. Um, how how do you handle that? Is it any different than, say, your parent? You know, John, that's a, that, that's a hard one, right? That is, that is um, something as parents no one ever uh, expects or thinks they're, they're ever going to have to go to, and unfortunately, um, some do. And one of the, you know, one of the things with, with our hospice program and our hospice footprints, we, we serve all walks of life. We serve all ages. Um, we serve whoever may qualify and who may need our care. But it, 
it, it, it again goes back to supporting that that family and rallying around them um, through a time of not only anticipatory grief, but then really grief in itself, maybe uh, the, the, the post-loss of their child or their loved one. And, and hospice doesn't just end when an individual um, passes away. You know, our, our hospice care and our support for that family is still remains long after um, that an individual may pass away. I, I think the, 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 the box that folks can fall into is that they're alone. And, and the thing with no matter the age of the loved one that uh, may be approaching death or that um, has potentially already passed away is that they're, they're, they're in this battle themselves or they're on this journey alone. And, you know, they maybe never worked in healthcare. They maybe never had someone that's gone through this before, or um, they don't even know where to start. And that's where it's, it's pick up the phone and, and really reach out to one of our hospice care providers in your area and, and have some conversation uh, because folks aren't alone. And the last thing we want individuals to do to feel like that they're stuck in this box without any help or support. And we're, we're here to help them. Um, and we're here to help them just as much. We're there to help, help the patients. It's, it's a family to us. Uh, and we often hear across our footprint that families are, are really grateful uh, for the support that they receive, not only for, again, for their loved one, but, but for themselves. And, and to me, doing doing regional operations, uh, that's that's humbling to know that you know we're we're making a difference in these people li- people's lives, uh, and helping families to make the most of the time left they have with with their loved ones. Are we seeing any trends, Dylan? I'm talking to Dylan Hinker, Senior Director, Home and Community Based Services for Sanford and Good Samaritan Society. Are we seeing uh, are are more people? Uh, coming to that point without family, maybe, uh, you know, we've seen single parent families, that type of thing. Are people reaching that point in their age where maybe there's no family to support them? You know, everyone's got a, everyone's got a different journey, right? Everyone's got a different journey. Even, even if an individual doesn't have a, a family member or a relative or a friend or whatever it may be um, to support them through that journey, we're there to support them. And, and we've got uh, a plethora of folks on our team. Um, we've got volunteers. We've got chaplaincy services. You name it, we're, we're there to support the whole individual, whether they, they have a family to help them through this or not. So, uh, again, we want to be sure that, that we, can, we can support them as much as they need. And, and one of the other things, too, is, is really just where someone may receive hospice care. I think there's a, a myth that, you know, hospice is a, hospice is a place. You know, hospice is this thing that you go to. Um, hospice is a, is a feeling. Um, it's, it's not a place. It's not a thing. It's, it's a feeling. And that's what our team delivers. And it, we meet the patients where, where they're at, uh, whether that be in their home, whether that be in a long-term care facility, in an inpatient hospice, um, or a hospital, you name it, we, we come to the individual. They don't come to us, right? So, it, it's not a it's not a place, or there's not this this thing that you go to when suddenly you um, are discussing with your physician that hospice care could be a, a potential right path for you and a right journey for you. Uh, we, we'll meet them where they're at, and they can be served in a number of uh, number of different capacities. So sometimes it's not a twenty four hour seven day thing that they're uh, you know you say at home is is a large part of it. Absolutely, it, we're you know we're here. 24 7 mm-hmm. we we have providers and we have clinicians that are on call 24 7 to support the, the patient and the family um, at all times 
whether that's one o'clock in the afternoon or 1 a.m. in the morning, uh, we're here. And so while it, the care may be delivered in their home, it still is around a, a the clock in terms of uh, the support that they're receiving. So they can still continue, you know, living a, as, as normal um, as they're able life while still receiving receiving hospice care. We have folks that are going through um, or that are on hospice care, and they they still live out a a fruitful life of whether that's a trip they want to take, whether that's a certain it could be a relative they want to go down and see in a different state, or hey, if I'm on hospice care and I want to take a trip down to to Florida to go do. Um, Disney World or whatever it may be, we can do all of those things. And that's the the unique part about hospice is the care goes with you. Um, So we, as a hospice provider, can work with local providers to wherever that individual is going and then contract with them to be sure that um, that the the, the patient can receive the, the same level of care that they would have received if they were back home wherever home is and they would still have that 24-7 support. So that's a a real unique part of hospice is it's not meant to be life-limiting at all. You mentioned volunteers. Uh, The old adage is those who have been through have a responsibility to help those yet to come. Uh, Are you needed volunteers in Sioux Falls? Absolutely. We are always in need of, of volunteers for our hospice program um, and really across our, our, our whole footprint. And if anyone ever is interested in, in volunteering and helping us serve those that uh, really are the most vulnerable and are, are needing to be served and, and want to help out, um, they can help out in, in a number of ways. It, it, it can be um, in a limiting capacity. It can be as much as they want. It can be you name it. Uh, we we would take all walks of volunteers in any kind of maybe there's folks out there that you know specialize in certain things whether that's uh, music therapy whether that's there's certain crafts they may do or whatever it is uh, we would be willing to to talk to them absolutely and and how they could help us serve their communities. Do service dogs uh, come into that at, at any point? Having a pet? Yeah. Yep. Service animals. If you, you look at any kind of any kind of studies in relation to that that feeling that individuals get with, with pets and with animals. Of course, um, it's like anything, it's not a one-size-fits-all, right? So it depends on whether or not the individual wants that um, service animal coming in. But the, the, the light-up that comes on individuals' faces when you know they're able to have a, a, a dog that comes in or, or whatever it may be that reminds them back of their dog, Katie, or whatever it um, pet that they may have had when when they were younger or maybe a pet they just recently had maybe a a pet that they've just lost in the last few years but that pet therapy is is uh certainly another huge benefit for folks and again we're we're always open to options of what anyone may be able to offer us now for you know the the uh person listening on the radio right now that has a parent or grandparent they know this is going to be something they have to do um maybe sooner than they hope but uh, should they be talking about any legal preparation, like living wills, that type of thing? Absolutely. I, I think living wills, I think advanced directives, um, all of those things ultimately uh, should be taken care of, quite frankly, long before even we we discuss um, a life-limiting illness or a disease progression that has got us to the point to where we, we talk about hospice care. Uh, I think those are those are things that, in my personal and professional opinion, um, folks should have some attention to and, and work towards 
uh, sooner rather than later, regardless of at what stage themselves or their their loved one may be in. Uh, because as we all know, John, life is life is short, and, and we never know what what may happen or what may come our way. So, the more we we get our affairs in order, the more that helps those um, should something happen. Dylan, you've been working with the Sanford Good Samaritan Society for for some time now. Yes, sir. I have been here for eleven years. What do sometimes, like I say, people in in hospice uh, do they often? Um, maybe say or state regrets what would be some of the, the things that a lot of people say that they regret at that at that point in their life a lot of times the patient in the family i will say uh, generally speaking they they wish they would have started hospice care sooner um they wish they would have had those interactions and decided to make this this choice to move into um hospice at at a sooner part of uh, their journey in their disease progression what about pain? Um, I guess hospice is in one part of that is is to uh, make the pain the best way they can. That's a that's a huge part of of hospice care, right? It, again, it goes back to um, treating the symptoms of that disease. And in, in back to one of my original uh, comments was just rather than treating the disease itself. And we know, and medicine uh, professionals all know that. Is there's there's certain chronic life limiting um, disease progressions as those disease continue to progress down the line. There's there's a form of pain typically that does come along with that, um, and we want to be sure that our patients are are um, are pain pain free as much as possible. That they're under control. That pain is under control, and again, that they're able to to live continue to live their life is is to the fullest. Um, in the remaining days, weeks, or months, or however long that, that it may be. Um, and a big part of, of what we are tasked with is being sure that uh, that pain symptom, and there's, there's other symptoms that, that, you know, that may flare up or may be a part of the care as well in relation to that specific disease. They're all different, um, but uh, that's a, a huge responsibility of ours is being sure that that is, that is under control. Again, for those listening, uh, trauma uh, like you say, it can be beforehand, and of course after. Uh, PTSD is something the Vietnam veteran kind of defined. But uh, what you're saying is that hospice doesn't end uh, with the passing. Uh, you're there for the family uh, also for some time. The support organizations is what I'm saying. Absolutely, and actually part of part of bereavement services um, provided by by hospice starts on day one of hospice admission uh, and continue beyond a, a patient's death for. Uh, at least 13 months and often longer. So we're we're there to to support, provide resources, listen to, counsel, um, problem solve with, and, and and love that circle of family and friends um, who have been surrounding you know their loved one through their hospice journey. So I think that's one of the the, the key pieces with with hospice. And, and certainly, families have a a choice after their loved one has passed away what what path, what route they want to take. Um, but we're there for them even long after that their loved one may have passed away. Is there a personal physician still involved? Yes. Yep, yep. They still have their primary care provider. Um, they still utilize their attending physician. And then we also utilize um, our hospice medical director and our, our hospice physicians or our palliative care physicians uh, from Sanford Health. Dylan, where, do you, uh, where can people go for the best advice? 
Say that again. Where can people go to get the best advice, uh, websites or whichever for Good Samaritan and Sanford? Yeah, if you know from a from an internet standpoint, certainly going on to SanfordHealth.org, there's a ton of resources in relation to hospice care, disease progression, you name it. There's there's plenty of information on there uh, for them to be able to leverage and certainly get phone numbers to be able to uh, find a local office near them to be able to reach out to. And if they do know they have a local Sanford Health or they've got a local Good Samaritan Society, they can certainly connect with them as well, um, and they can get them um, the right contacts that they need to 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 get some more information and, and really even have somebody come out and have a conversation with them. I think there's such a huge part of this that has to be that person-to-person discussion. Um, and, of, of course, always want to be sure that they're consulting with, with their physician and their primary care physician about what those options are as well. But going on our, our SanfordHealth.org page has a lot of different information in relation to hospice services, um, what hospice is, and how we may be able to help them and their loved ones. Dylan Hinker, Senior Director, Home and Community-Based Services for Sanford Good Samaritan Society. We just touched on the base of a lot of uh, uh, nerves, I think, in the last half hour. And uh, I think education, communication, the more we can do on that, the better. And I want to thank you very much for being with us on Forum. Yeah, thank you so much, John. I, I appreciate the conversation today. Uh, and for those listening, again, there's, there's folks out there that may be going through similar situations they are. Um, we're here to help. Uh, individuals aren't alone, and, and we're willing to have a conversation. If, uh, feel free to reach out at any time.